Bibles with me to Colossians 4. As we come to the end of this letter, just want to announce that next week, if you know someone who might not know Christ, it will be a purpose of a gospel message next week. The title of the message next week will be One Moment After Death. Um, from the Gospel of Luke, who really talks probably about conversion more than any other gospel. But we will look at that next week. Today, as we come to Colossians chapter 4, especially beginning in verse 2, we, we kind of grasp or we come to understand the, the length of the gospel through Paul from Jesus Christ when he stopped him on that road to Damascus to, to take this diminutive-sized man with physical infirmities who describes himself as not too impressive to look at or to listen to, um, but not only would he bring the gospel through the voice of the Apostle Paul and the pen of the Apostle Paul, but there's a, there's a network that I have a list on my phone, I think, of over 70 people and I'm sure we don't have anywhere close to all of them, of the people that Paul discipled. So he was unique in that what he was calling people to wasn't exactly what he himself was doing. What I mean by that is that Paul was a church planter. He didn't go around and preach a message about being saved. People got saved and he moved to the next town. He went to a town. He, he preached repentance and following Christ with their lives. Then he would stay there until a church was formed and he would leave there not before there was a group of leaders in that church and a group of disciples ready to carry forward. And there is kind of a, a progression of from Paul to an individual in a town. There was Paul who would travel with multiple people. He is training people while he is traveling. So typically what would happen is each town that Paul would go to, people would leave with Paul. And they would be trained by Paul while they were traveling and they would be founding churches. Um, so we have the letter of Colossae where we see two important figures today, probably the preacher Archippus and the person who brought the gospel from Paul to Colossae's Epaphras and Paul the writer of the letter to the Colossians. And we see the extent to which this man who in just a couple of decades reaches millions of people no messaging, no internet, no phone calls, no gospel messages over the airwaves, but Paul would reach more people than any person who has ever lived. Um, and we see the signs of that networking in Colossians chapter 4. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, help us to be um, Paul's recipient of this letter. Help us to appreciate the sacrifices of so many people to put this word of God in my hands, the, the church plants that, that show us how to do church, how to grow, how to make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to Colossians chapter 4, um, verse 1. We looked at last week because it is in the context of um, everyone in the home and in the workplace. In verse 2, Paul says to the church, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders make the most of every opportunity. So this is one of many times Paul prayed in the opening of this letter that, that he has heard 1,400 miles away. 1,400 miles would be the other side of the globe in travel today. And he has heard from there that they not only received the message from um, Epaphras, not only are they listening faithful to the teaching of Archippus, but they are growing and making disciples and the gospel is spreading throughout the territory where Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea are 
places that Paul has never been. So in a sense, the prayer is being answered that he is asking, but Paul is sitting in chains in Rome under house arrest, and these people are free that he is writing to, and he is asking them to pray that Paul would have a door open, that maybe the, maybe the next guard or the next person would come. Paul is training people while he is in Rome. He is sending out the message in Rome, and he is sending out the message across the world, and he is saying, pray for me what I'm praying for you, that a door will open, that an opportunity will come up, that I would be ready to share the gospel, that I would do it clearly and effectively. So we learned in Colossians chapter 1 Paul, that Paul understands why he's in prison, so that people like Colossae um, could receive the gospel message and the church doctrines that Paul has never been there, um, that the gospel would go far out past Paul's legwork. Um, so you see there in your um, notes there, Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So he's doing that to Colossae. He's doing that for Ephesus. He's praying for each of the churches that he has been to. And we have a, a short list of churches that received letters, but there probably would have been a hundred towns where Paul planted a church in. Some of them rejected it completely. Some of them probably became faithful churches that we know nothing about. But he says, pray and watch. Be ready, pray, be opportunistic, he is saying to both of these churches. And he says, with this in mind, be alert and always be praying for all the Lord's people. So there is a part of our prayer if we follow Paul in praying for Christians throughout the world. There is a specificness to Paul's prayers that we pray for each one in our family. That all of those that we are serving him with, we would pray for together. In verse 6, he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That everyone is a big word. That a Christian in Mendota, Illinois, shouldn't be able to encounter a human being in Mendota, Illinois that they couldn't answer. So whether they're an atheist or a, a Muslim or a Mormon or... Um, a transgender or whoever it is from any background, with any emotions, with any understanding um, of what God is or what God isn't, Paul is saying, always have it seasoned with salt. In other words, um, I'm not here to offend you, I'm here to invite you. So the gospel will do the offending. The gospel will say to a person, you need to repent. You need to turn from the things that you have followed to following an individual named Jesus Christ. But we are to do it with a, a voice seasoned with salt, with gentleness and respect. First Peter 3.15 in your notes, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. So again, we think of him, our Messiah, as Kyrios, our master. Maybe that's why that's included in Colossians 4.1. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So it is likely that a person will need to see the gospel in action before they want to hear the gospel from your voice. So Peter is telling us, and Paul is telling us, that if our, if our conversations are always seasoned with salt, if our loving others is always visible, then be ready to give an answer when they say, why is that? Where does this hope come from? Hope is the thing that human beings need the most before they have it. And Peter and Paul are suggesting that if we demonstrate what hope is, we will receive questions as to what hope does and where hope comes from. And Paul explains that it comes from a person. We get into Paul's um, networking as we come into verse 7. Again, this is a church a long way from Paul in prison. And he says in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, 
a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. I am sending him to you with the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus and Epaphras um, are people who are traveling back and forth with Paul to Rome, and he is sending them back out. People in Colossae are saying, what is Paul up to? Is he okay? Have they put him to death? Is he still in prison? Is he still at work? <coughs> they receive this letter to know that he is still at work. Tychicus is going to deliver it. He's going to sit down with them. He's going to explain this letter. He's going to urge them what Paul is urging them in this letter, and he's going to explain everything that is going on in Rome. So Paul would conclude letters saying, those here in Rome greet you. So the gospel is going out from Paul's house in Rome. It is going thousands of miles out with people like Tychicus. Um, and as you look, turn to Acts chapter 20, we see where Paul encounters these people, where they're from, and the uniqueness of him sending them from Rome. These people would have been travelers the rest of their lives. In Acts chapter 20, we will see this verse again. So Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phrias, from Berea. So we have a person who traveled with Paul from Berea. We have Aristarchus, we'll see that name again, and Secundus from Thessalonica. We have Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, and Timothy's from Lystra, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. So here is a list of people who are traveling with Paul, besides Luke and, and others who are traveling with Paul. And Luke is the detailer. Luke is the one. I want to connect these dots. So we have people that when Paul went to Macedonia, first of all, he didn't know he was ever to go to Macedonia. He sees a vision the beginning of Acts chapter 20. He goes to Macedonia along with Luke and Timothy and Silas and he, he goes to Philippi, he goes to Berea and a man that he meets and encounters and follows Christ in Berea decides I'm going to become a part of Paul's network. So he leaves Berea and he goes with Paul and he travels throughout the rest of his missionary journey. We see other names in this verse we see that um, Aristarchus and Secundus are from Thessalonica. So you're studying Thessalonica in Sunday school. One of the things that happened at Thessalonica is that Aristarchus and Secundus go to join Paul's network. So they would have become missionaries immediately. So they come to know Christ, and in about a month's time, they decide the gospel is obviously going out to the world, from Christ, through this individual, we're going to help. We're going to step in. We're going to take the gospel to other parts of the world. So they responded immediately to the gospel and gave legs to it. And then we see that um, Gaius is from Derby. Derby was close to Lystra, where Timothy is from. Um, and they are traveling with Paul as well. So we know a lot about Timothy. We don't know a lot about this Gaius. We do see him later in Paul's letters. But when he went to Galatia, he left with Paul just like Timothy did. And they are now traveling as part of his team and bringing the gospel to the world. And then we see Tychicus and Trophimus, this man and woman who are traveling from the province of Asia. So Tychicus is going to bring the letter to Ephesus. Um, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, you will see that name. So Ephesus and Colossae aren't right together. They're about 100 miles apart, but they're both from the province of Asia. So as we look in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21... Paul writes, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and 
that he may encourage you. So somehow Tychicus um, connects with Paul, probably from Ephesus, because Paul was never in Colossae, but he's from the territory of both Ephesus and Colossae. He is traveling with Paul, and the discipleship, the one-on-one with Paul, that we are to do in church, Paul did while he was walking. Paul did when he was on a ship. He did when he was in the back of a cart, traveling across with this group of men, uh, much like Jesus and the disciples. Paul had a group of disciples that were traveling with him around the world. So this Tychicus, when he brings the letter to Ephesus, he is familiar with these people. He knows these people. He would have come in at the port not far from Patmos to Ephesus, and he would have traveled farther east going to Colossae, and he probably is familiar with those people as well. It would be like us with somebody else in the state of Illinois. So Tychicus is a dear brother and a faithful servant in the Lord. Um, Probably about a decade by this time, Paul has known Tychicus. He's from Asia, where Colossae is from. Back to Colossians chapter 4. We see the faithfulness of another reason maybe why we had masters and slaves in the first verse of this chapter as we see a converted slave. In verse 9, he is coming, Tychicus is, with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that is happening here. So Paul addresses, or he gives this description of Onesimus as a dear brother. So it will be interesting in heaven to talk to Onesimus, if that's possible, but how did this happen? How did you run away from your slave master Philemon so far, 1,400 miles from home, and how did you come to encounter the Apostle Paul, and how did you decide to stay there to maybe meet Paul's needs, to maybe spend a year with Paul under house arrest to be trained as a follower of Jesus Christ. So Onesimus historically becomes a leader in the church of Colossae. But his story begins for us as we turn to Philemon, as we see this letter to Philemon. So we already understand there are no church buildings in the first century, the second century, or the third century. Um, We are into the fifth century before they start actually building church buildings. Um, So this letter is coming to a house of Philemon. Um, Philemon is a dear friend of Paul's. How they connected would have been interesting because Philemon also is from Colossae and Paul has yet to be there, maybe never was there. But we look at the opening verses of Philemon. Actually, um, we'll do that a little bit later. Let's drop down to verse 8. He is writing this letter um, to let Philemon know how things are going. Understand that Philemon is in the house that Colossae meets in. So Colossians and Philemon and at least Ephesians, are all being delivered to his mail at his doorstep. And Tychicus and Onesimus are bringing this. And Onesimus has been gone probably for a year or two from Philemon, and he is coming home. Whatever, whatever you need to do, I'm coming home. So Paul is going to explain to Onesimus what has happened in those two years. He's going to deliver the letter of Colossians to him. And he's going to write this letter as a plea on behalf of Onesimus. In verse 8, he writes, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ. So Paul's probably about 60 years old as he's writing this, and he's, I guess I'm old too then. Um, verse 10, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. So that's, a, that's an endearing title given to Titus and given to Timothy, and we don't think of Onesimus that way, but 
But Paul uses language like that. When you take a young man and you lead him to follow Christ and then you put him under your wing and you train him to the point where he can be sent out. We talked in Sunday school about Timothy, about how young he was and how trained he must have been and how willing he must have been to go. And Onesimus was, would have been like that. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. In other words, they met in Rome in Paul's house arrest. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. It, again, the story must be interesting that he gets to Rome, and, and I would doubt seriously that he left Colossae to go to Rome to meet Paul. But Priscilla and Aquila have been spreading the gospel for more than a decade in Rome before they're kicked out. Um, there would have been slaves probably hiding in Rome from their masters, maybe runaway slaves, and there would have been slaves who were faithful to their masters, and it's likely Onesimus encounters a slave who had encountered Christ through Paul. And they would have taken him ultimately to Paul. Paul would have trained him as a disciple, and he would write this letter to Philemon that he's coming home. So formally, verse 11, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. Useless in the sense that he was a slave and he left it. Um, but now he's useful to both of us. Verse 12, I am sending him who is my very heart. Again, endearing descriptions of Onesimus, this converted slave. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. So Philemon has probably sent money. He may have um, encountered Paul there. It's unlikely, but his servant from his family that is helping Paul is Onesimus. Verse 14, But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So Paul is speaking on behalf of Onesimus. Perhaps, Philemon, this was God's plan all along, that he would run away as your servant, as your slave, and that he would come home as your brother. That that was God's orchestration from heaven of uh, every man in an exact place in an exact time, that this 1,400 miles away single house Paul in chains between soldiers, training Luke and training Timothy and training Silas and training Archippus and training Epaphras, that he would show up there when this trainer and this gospel preacher and he would be trained himself and he would come back to Philemon as one of Paul's networking servants of Christ. So um, let's go back to Colossians chapter 4. And we're understanding, Dave mentioned this in Sunday school, that he asked the question that I answered in my head from an American position. How do we spread the gospel? How do we share Jesus Christ? We tell somebody how to pray a prayer and believe in Jesus. And then we leave them. And we tell someone else that. And then we tell someone else that. And then we tell someone else that. And it just gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Paul would have taken Onesimus, for example. Are you sure you've given your life to Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Yes, I have. Do you understand what that means? Well, explain to, Paul, explain to me, Paul. Well, that means that your life, your devotion, your purpose, your always being ready from now on is Christ. Yes, Paul, I'm in. So then Paul would have said, well, then join us in this group. 
with this networking that Paul is surrounded by, maybe a dozen disciples that he is sending out to the world and he is training them, he is preparing them to be persecuted, he is preparing them to give answers to the places that they're going to, he is preparing them to suffer alone at times, which is hard to do, and he would have said, Onesimus, join us. And he did join to the extent that Paul says to Philemon, my son Onesimus, my trained Timothy Titus Onesimus. So Paul is reaching out from Rome, understanding the length of the gospel, not because of Paul, but because of Christ. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus, sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So we see a couple of more names here. If we go back to Acts chapter 19, in verse 29, we already, we've already seen his name in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 19, we see in verse 29... Soon the whole city was in an uproar and they, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus. So there's two names we've already seen and we, we already seen that Archippus very, very early on knows what, or Aristarchus knows what chains are like very early on. If you're going to walk with Paul, if you're going to bring the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of this earth, which Satan is the prince of the ruler of the air in this world, if you're going to defy him and follow Christ and bring people to Christ, chains and persecution are in your future. Um, Paul teaches us that on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. So Aristarchus is immediately introduced to this. So we see soon the whole city was in an uproar. He's in Ephesus. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. So this Gaius and Aristarchus are two of the people that followed Paul when he went through Macedonia. So he was there long enough to plant churches. He was there long enough to explain what his mission is. His mission is to reach the world with the gospel that just a couple of decades ago, Christ rose from the dead and that message has to get to the world. It has to get to places that are far away from Jerusalem so people can realize that the creator of the universe rose from the dead and he's ready to pardon you from your sins and invite you into his kingdom. And these men from Macedonia left with resolve. So in chapter 20 and verse 4, he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, and Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. So we learn in chapter 19 he's from Macedonia. In chapter 20 we learn specifically that he is from Thessalonica in Macedonia. So the letter that we're studying in Sunday school is where Aristarchus came from, and he is traveling the world as Paul is sending him out. Turn to chapter 27 of Acts. We see his connection to Rome that we are seeing in the book of Colossae. To Colossae, I should say. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some of the some other prisoners were handed over to the centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded the ship from Adronitum, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So he stays incarcerated, and they're looking for a ship to take these prisoners um, and part of the prisoner ship is Aristarchus along with Paul. So he would have been tested heavily like Paul was early on in his ministry. As we go back to Colossians chapter 4, we're just continuing to see that it isn't going to be Paul goes to Colossae, 
preaches a message and moves on. He goes to other places, preaches a message and move on. There is going to be many people involved in every church. There are going to be people from other parts of the world investing to, in churches in other parts of the world. There are going to be people like Epaphras who bring the gospel there, and there are going to be people like Aristarchus who traveled from many miles away as part of the gospel being sent, and he is in Rome while Paul is writing this letter. So verse 10 again, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, and this is how we know, Colossians 4.10, that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So turn to Acts chapter 12, where we see Mark coming on the scene, probably as a teenage boy in this context, maybe a little older, but pretty young, in Acts chapter 12, we pick it up in verse 12, and again, this is that scene where Peter is in prison, he is in change, he is likely waiting execution, um, he has fallen asleep, um, he's exhausted, they're in a house and they're praying for Peter, and Peter is surprised that the Lord rescues him, and then... The other people are surprised that the Lord rescues him, but we're going to go inside the house where they are praying um, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. Well, let's look at verse 11 where Peter comes to himself realizing this is really happening. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. So what we could miss in this story is that the author of the Gospel of Mark um, is the son of this woman, Mary, who has the house that they were praying in. So this would have been a significant woman. Um, why, why her name is mentioned, Luke is very detailed, so it is likely the spiritual leader of this home is a woman, and she is so invested in the church early on that when Peter is in prison, all of the gathering is in her house, and they are praying and a young man there named John, also called Mark, is there in the house of his mother. So if you turn to, um, or drop down to verse 25, this would again look like Timothy and many other examples we have looked at. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So, John is a young man. Um, John Mark um, is, a, not that it matters, but Mark Hall's name is actually John Mark, so I think he's named after this individual. But um, he, he is much like Timothy when Paul comes on his second journey to go into Galatia. He goes up through Derby and Iconium and then to Lystra, and while he's going to Derby and Iconium, he hears of this faithful young man. And he hears that Timothy is already a disciple before Paul even gets there. And here in Jerusalem, there's a young man that is faithful, and his name is John Mark. So this would be a source of contention later when it got overwhelming to John Mark, and he would leave Paul and Barnabas. Um, but we see by the time Paul writes Colossians that John Mark is a significant part of Paul's ministry. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 as we see that while Timothy and Titus and Onesimus and people like them are called Paul's son, that the person who spent the most time with Mark is actually Peter. And Peter is probably Mark's primary source because he wasn't a disciple, when the Gospel of Mark was written, a few years later he would have had help from Peter. 
along with Matthew and Luke. So in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that... Oops, I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry about that. 1 Peter 5 and verse 13, She who is in Babylon, and we won't get into it, but I think he's referring to Rome because that's where Peter's at during this time, chosen together with you sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. So Paul, or Mark, is Peter's disciple. He is Paul's disciple, and he is invested heavily in the early church. He's a young man when they are praying for Peter and his delivery, and he would have had an immediate connection with Peter when Peter would have showed up that night that would have never ended. Um, let's go back to Colossians chapter 3 or 4. The questions that we should have naturally, each of us, is well, how are these connections being made in Mendota? Or are these connections being made in Mendota? Are we forming a network that will ensure the gospel to go forward? That's what Paul is trying to do in Colossae here. And Paul has never actually been there. So we live here. It should be important to us. Um, in verses 10 and 11, again, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, we really don't know anything about this individual. Jesus is actually a very common name during this time. And he may be called Justice because he doesn't want to be called Jesus as a Christ follower. He also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. So in Paul's extended networking, um, they're mostly Gentiles. This Jew of Jews, as he would describe himself, of the tribe of Benjamin, trained by um, Gamaliel to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, but the Jews hated Paul in large part, but the Jews who followed Christ became part of Paul's network in these territories. Um, turn to Acts chapter 28, the last chapter because we could read over and, and miss the fact that everywhere Paul went, he preached the kingdom. You can't do the kingdom without the church, and you can't do the church without the kingdom. We are always focused on a king, and we are always focused on a kingdom. So he is writing Colossians effectively in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, this is the time period where he writes Philemon, Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians. And Luke tells us for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So we live in a um, replacement theology time in the history of the church where the kingdom is something from the past and maybe the kingdom will come in the future and Paul makes clear that the church is a part of the kingdom. It is a part of the kingdom plan and he preached that to everyone who came to his house for two whole years. So it would be hard to describe how busy Paul was sitting in house arrest. First of all, he rented the house, which meant people like Philemon were paying the rent. People um, from Macedonia and Philippi were paying the rent for his house in Rome. But people were coming to Paul from all over the world. They were coming to their, if, if there was a seminary on earth at that time, it would have been in a house in Rome where Paul was. So he was training people in the truth the way Christ himself gave him the truth. As we go back to Colossians chapter 4. This list of names of people that not only will we see in heaven, but it's, it's hard to fathom that, you know, uh, maybe an 18-year-old boy like, like Mark, like Timothy, like um, Onesimus, some of these younger people that 
it always just causes pause to me when it says Jesus would say, like Jesus would come up to a tax collector's booth. Matthew was probably one of the wealthiest people that Jesus called, and he said, Matthew, follow me. Matthew said, okay, and he left. That's overwhelming to think about, that we read each of these names, and oh, he happens to be from Macedonia, and he's in prison with Paul in Rome, and he's going to bring a letter to Colossae, the, the magnitude of their giving their lives to Christ um, is not familiar to us, to say the least. Um, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, telling us that he is from Colossae, and a servant of, of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. So again, he's with Paul. He's praying this with Paul. Paul and Luke and all of these people are praying together. What are they praying? That no persecution would come. That's not what they're praying. That all of their, their jobs would go well. That's not what he's praying. That they would enjoy good health. That's not what he's praying. He is praying, Epaphras, who is one of you, is praying that you would be obedient that you would stand firm, that you would grow in your walk. Um, and he would have been very moved to do so himself as he is in the prison cell with Paul in Rome. So Epaphras is from Colossae. Like Onesimus, he had to meet Paul somewhere besides Colossae because Paul's never been there. It is likely that during the three years in Ephesus that Paul spent, Epaphras finds his way to Paul. He is trained as a disciple by Paul. He is trained as a church-planting missionary like Paul. So Epaphras plants. It is God who plants. Um, but Epaphras is the one who is the reason there is a church in Colossae. He is the one who brings the resurrection message of the cross to Colossae. So if we looked back in Colossians chapter 1, when Paul was telling us that, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6, we could start back in verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation, oops, I'm in the wrong place there, sorry about that. Colossians chapter 1, verse We'll start in verse 6. Paul writes, he's talking about the gospel that has come to you, and he says that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So he's explaining that, um, he's telling us literally in that verse that he is in the Pauline network, if you will, that he is one of us, meaning one of the people that is in the network of Paul, that Paul himself trained by Christ, Paul training probably more than a hundred men, he would have spent more time training people than he would have spent in churches. Um, so he would have spent more time in prison and in traveling than he would have even in the three years in Ephesus and the year and a half in Corinth, constantly training people. And it helps you to understand why Jesus took 11 men instead of just constantly preaching to the crowds because they have to be trained, they have to be fully surrendered, they have to be ready as these faithful servants and as this minister that he calls Epaphras that is one of us, meaning that he is a church-planting missionary. So they would have had a, a deep place in their heart. Epaphras almost gave his life to go to Rome to come back to Colossae to help take care of Paul, Paul would tell us in one of his letters. So Epaphras would have had a, a firm place in the hearts of the believers in Colossae. Turn to Philemon chapter 1. Philemon chapter 1. 
as he is mentioned there, and we'll, we'll see familiarity in names in Philemon, which is going to be a letter delivered at the exact same time to Philemon's house as the letter of Colossians. So Hebrews is easier to find. It's right before Hebrews. Philemon, verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner. So he is telling us, among other things, that literally when Epaphras went to Rome, it cost him. You here to see Paul? Yes. Okay. You get your own prison cell. So he was a prisoner for the gospel like Paul. He risked his life to go back and forth to places like Colossae. So Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do, and we see the same list because it's the same group of people as he's writing the letter at the same time. So we see Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you in spirit because Paul can't be there himself. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 4. And we meet an individual who maybe was the most difficult person for Paul to write about as he's closing this letter here. Um, it wouldn't have been difficult writing here, but he would be a difficult person in Paul's life. So in verse 14... We read, actually verse 13, I'm not sure if I read that, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, Epaphras is, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So we see um, Epaphras, though he is the one who brought the gospel to Colossae, he is a church-planting missionary who played a major role in Laodicea and Hierapolis. These are all towns closely um, in proximity to each other. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke, Paul would have had a deep relationship with Luke by this time, having been with him over a decade. Pretty much everywhere Paul went, Luke went. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. So we know about Luke, um, that he's the author of two of the largest books in the New Testament, that he is the one who takes it upon himself to prove that Jesus rose from the dead and that he was who he says he is, and he would have to travel with Paul to do that, and he did, and Luke would have paid for that many times over. Um, Paul also would have been on, the, or Luke would have been on the ship with Paul when Paul was going as a prisoner from Jerusalem to Caesarea to Malta, ultimately to Rome. So when Paul got to Rome with Luke, um, Luke is there with him. And then we see Demas, and Demas is a sad story for Paul. So um, in your notes there, in Philemon 1.24, we've already seen Demas. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So he is writing sequentially. Um, Philemon and Colossians at the same time are very close together, and Demas is included in the list of people who are there working with Paul. Demas probably worked with Paul for a while um, in order for him to be included in a final greeting to a town, um, but he was actually an imposter. Um, he was along for the ride, probably until things got difficult. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, we're going to just read a few verses here, similar to the close of Colossians. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So in this list of names he begins with, and you have in your notes there that he's writing Colossians and Philemon, about 61 A.D. Six years later, he is writing from his final prison cell where he's going to be put to death, and Demas was also there, and he decided to leave. And Paul, both in reality and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says he left because he loves the world. 
And John and James and Paul say that if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So Demas was doing church. He was doing missionary work. He was part of Paul's network, and then he walked away. And he didn't walk away like Mark in Acts chapter 13 because it was, he was scared. He walked away, Paul says, because he loved the world. Um, a difficult relationship with the Apostle Paul. Reading on in this list, um, starting in verse 10 again, For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, another person in Paul's network, has gone to Galatia. So a place where Paul went on all three of his missionary journeys. Understand Paul has already described in this chapter that he's going to die, that they're putting him to death. So he is sending people out from his prison cell to all of these territories. So Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Um, only Luke is with me. So when Paul is executed, he is there with his dear friend, as we saw in Colossians closing, Luke. And then he says, get Mark and bring him with you. So he's inviting Timothy and Mark to possibly get there before he's executed because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So in church planting, Mark takes a significant role um, and becomes an important part of Paul's ministry. So Mark would be in Rome or heading to Rome as Paul is executed. Mark spent several years in Rome with Peter um, as Peter is writing 1 Peter and Paul's writing 1 Timothy and Titus. Mark is in Rome. So verse 12, Tychicus, a familiar name we saw earlier, is it to Ephesus. He is sending these people out, realizing I need to send them away now. So it's not as if, you know, it is... It's difficult words to read. I'm about to be executed and only Luke is here with me. It's not they're deserting him. He's telling them, go. Just like Jesus did before he ascended to heaven, he said, go into all the world. So he is telling Crescens and Tychicus and these men, go. Go out and do what you know what to do. Do what you know needs to be done. My work with you is finished. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. He says a couple of verses earlier. Um, he is ready to meet Christ. Well, why is Luke staying? Because Luke is the, the teller of the gospel. Um, it would be about this time that Luke is with Paul that he writes the gospel of Luke. So... When he is writing Colossians, Luke is putting together the Gospel of Luke, and now Luke has finished his purpose in the kingdom as far as a broad sense. He has written Luke and Acts, and he is going to stay with Paul. And Paul probably said to Luke, you go too. And Luke probably said, no, no, I'm not leaving. So he probably stayed with Paul and probably was at Paul's execution. Reading on, not everything, not every one, Paul's biggest scars came from inside the church. Verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed my message. So here's another imposter. I think we see him back in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 20, um, someone from the inside who, like Demas, decided to choose the world, um, but worse than Demas, he chose to try to end Paul in his ministry. Um, back to Colossians chapter 4. Verse 15 we see another important woman. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So we see Epaphras was the gospel preacher to Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And like 
Philippi, when Paul went there, the first gathering of what would be the church of Philippi was in the house of Lydia, who's actually from Thyatira. So the gathering of the church in Laodicea that we read about not so good in Revelation, but that is three decades later, um, we see that this woman here plays a significant role in Paul's network in that her house became a church where the church of Laodicea met. Verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see to it, see to it, excuse me, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea and it is believed that that is the letter of Ephesians. So um, the letter of the Philippians would have been brought by Tychicus and Onesimus on their way and left in Philippi and then two letters would have gone to Colossae, Colossians and Philemon, and they also would have brought the letter to the Ephesians that would have first stopped at Ephesus when they ported and then would have been carried on at least a copy of it to Laodicea and to Colossae. Verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So Archippus has a different ministry than Epaphras. We see Timothy's ministry in 1 Timothy 4 where the elders of Ephesus come around, they lay their hands on him, and they ordain him as a pastor. Epaphras, the apostle Paul, we can start there in Acts chapter 13. The Holy Spirit says, send out Paul and Barnabas. Enact, if you will, this world global evangelism church planting mystery, ministry through Paul. And Epaphras became a part of that. He became a church planting missionary. So in Colossae, he is the church planter. He is in the same role that Paul is to Ephesus, where he brings the gospel there. He describes the church. Paul tells us in his letters that what we read in all of his letters, he gave to them immediately. He gave them the whole plan, the whole will of God, all that he has intended to form a body in this community that Christ founded and shed his blood for and is investing in, and he wants to put a lampstand here, and people would come together and start to form a body. Epaphras would have then traveled back and forth to Rome. He would have gone to Laodicea. He would have gone to Hierapolis. He would have gone to Macedonia. But Archippus is from Colossae, and his ministry, in verse 17, is the pastor of the church, or the, the elder, the, the teaching elder of the church. So if we go to Philemon in closing, we see in the address to the church, in Colossae, which is specifically this letter, is coming to Philemon, we see a family, a significant family in the first two verses that Paul is writing this letter to. As I said, it would have been the same place, the same home, that they would have delivered both Colossae, Philemon, and also the letter to the Ephesians. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's writing this from Rome in prison, and Timothy, our brother. Again, Timothy spent a lot of time sometimes behind prison walls and sometimes through prison walls with Paul. So Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So Paul's initial connection to Colossae is a man named Philemon. He may have come to know Christ in Ephesus or somewhere outside of Colossae, but he's Paul's dear friend. Verse 2, also Aphia. So we can be pretty sure that Aphia is Philemon's wife. So this is a house church in the house of Philemon and his wife, Aphia, which is significant because women aren't always named, so she probably plays a major role in this ministry. And then Archippus, who we just saw in the closing of the letter to Colossae, where Paul says, finish the ministry that God assigned to you. 
So Archippus, our fellow soldier, is the son of Philemon and Aphia, and he becomes the preacher in this church that we know as Colossae or Colossians. So to Philemon, my dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. So he's a part of the Pauline network, but not as a church planter, as a church overseer or a church shepherd, and to the church that meets in your home. So he makes clear to us that the church in Colossae meets in the home of Philemon, the, the home of his wife Aphia, and the home of their son, the minister Archippus. So he gives us a picture of what church looks like and all that goes into it. And, and you can see, even from church planting, how many people it should involve. It's not just the gospel message. It is a, a calling out to a community, um, which is what this should be. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, Paul's letters, even the, the personal touch that he finishes with. Um, that we ponder um, which of these people are the role that you've called me to step into. It is the picture of the church in Colossae is so different from what church has become in America. Um, help us to take what Paul established under the instructions of Christ in this community, in Jesus' name, amen.